And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So, the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to Four to Six with A and B, your Ohio State podcast, brought to you by the Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, I feel like a ton happened like in the last week since the last time you and I spoke. Ohio State got a commitment from JT Tuimaloau. Uh, you were at the opening. You got uh, eyeballs on Quinn Ewers. I tried a new fast food place. Um, I found the Philly Pretzel Factory in Ohio. I loved and, that you went there. I yeah, love that you drove yeah. an hour out of your yeah. day on July fourth to go to this place. It was That's worth an it. American. It was that, that's it. being an American. We'll get to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I guess people care the most about JT Tuimaloa, so we'll start with him. But I like, disagree. I, I think people care the most <laughs> about your, your your pretzel and Freddy steak burger experience. But let's start with uh, the thing that I guess we have to to look good to the yeah, company men, and I, then we'll we'll get into the good stuff, I, which actually also kind of encourages people to stick around longer. That's right. I guess we'll talk about JT. Uh, JT Tuimaloa commits on Fourth of July. Which uh, I'm glad because I was a little nervous about how long that was going to continue to drag out. But I guess you know if you want to go to Ohio State, the summer session starts like now, um, so we had to be there uh, in time for classes to start. So JT Tumalau, the let's see, the number three overall player in the class of 2021 composite, um, number two defensive lineman, five star prospect. Been talking about him forever. He's finally a Buckeye. Like it, the fine, like it's over. Um. And it's still like, even though we've been talking about it forever and it's felt like for a long time, in my opinion, at least that he's like been part of the class, like it's official now. He is, he is a Buckeye. Like, 
Big deal, right? Pretty it's big deal. Long, it's, it's felt like a, for a long time he was part of the class. <laughs> for I me, it think has. I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, throughout the entire process, despite the fact that he only talked to Brendan Huffman, who, who did a really good job Great with that job. recruitment. I want to I want to spend time just for a second to say that, you know, he was the only person that JT talked to and, uh, you know, really did a good job of, of fairly covering the recruitment and also kind of cornering the market there, which is a, a reporter's dream. Um, but he did kind of seem like he was... You know, he had the crystal balls, despite not speaking much. It always seemed like he was going to head to Ohio State. But the actions of his recruitment spoke louder than the crystal balls to me. Mm-hmm. And as he was, you know, going through his visits, I thought that it was it basically felt like square one once the visit started. Um, and then once he canceled his trip to Alabama, I thought, hey, you know, that's a pretty good good place for Ohio State because – if you look at his final group of lists, one school was different from the others. Right. You know, and the way I, I looked at it was, if you're down to Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama, that could be anybody. But if you're looking for a specific thing, and it's Ohio State, Washington, USC, and Oregon, then Ohio State was probably the most established on that list with, you know, the presence of Larry Johnson, but also, you know, the the unspoken priority of these kids, which is, you know, being developed into NFL draft picks, but also um, competing for national championships. So... You know, you never know with West Coast prospects, you know, and I thought that Oregon has done a tremendous job. And the fact that they were able to pull a five-star commitment like five minutes before JT on the same day in the 2022 class is kind of just an idea or a reminder that they're a legit contender. But, you know, it's just another example of a, of a top-tier prospect leaving the, the footprint. And, yep. you know, I, I don't mean to bag on Washington, but, boy, did they, they really blow an opportunity there to, to build something. Because it's not very often that one city has top three, top ten players nationally, and in Washington, uh, you know, had a real opportunity there. If they were to get all three of them, that would be the nucleus of a playoff team, in my opinion. Because you got a quarterback, you've got to, what, it's the three most important pieces, right? <laughs> the quarterback, you got a defensive lineman that can disrupt an entire <laughs> defense, a quarterback, and a receiver that can assist with the big plays that you need uh, at that level. So, um, for Ohio State to pull two of them. Um, and then they already had their quarterback. It's like Ohio State is like annexing that Seattleness, and you know that's kind of a tough world to live in. I think if you're a Huskies fan, I was just trying to think about how to say it. Yeah, um, if I, not a great day. I don't think I don't think a great day for Washington fans. Not a great day for. Or- I think I think Oregon fans think they had a shot with the timing of things. Like if you were if you were an Oregon fan. The idea that like he came off of his visit to Eugene and then canceled his visit to Alabama, like I could certainly see why that would inspire some confidence if you were a fan of the Ducks. But I actually, I was on vacation when that happened, and like when he canceled his Alabama visit, I was like, okay, he's going to Ohio State. I got home, like I wrote my story to get it ready, and like was just waiting for him to commit. Like I never really entertained the idea that he was going to go anywhere else other than Ohio State once that happened. Um, but there was the leak, there was the graphic. Did you see the Oregon graphic? Of that course, got put yeah, out? yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I was, uh, you know. Two two things two things gave me pause that and during his announcement he was like thanking all of the schools and the coaches and I thought when he started doing that he was going to thank the three who didn't win and then finish with the fourth and in the process of thanking schools he said Ohio State second I was like oh boy here we go this is going to end with and I'd like to announce my commitment to Oregon I was like oh shit <laughs> I, wasn't yeah, prepared. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for that but it didn't well, happen he's going I to think Ohio State everybody needs to know that two four seven makes graphics for all of them mm-hmm. and you don't see them when they don't come out so when you do see them come out you it kind of like tricks your brain a little bit of just like this graphic exists for a reason yeah 
It does exist for a reason. That reason is because they want to have one ready for the second he gets going, not because they know all the time that that was the case. Yeah. But even me, I was like, well, that's kind of funny, the fact that they act like, what are the odds of them accidentally putting the Oregon one out? You know, and I think it probably did uh, JT a nice little favor because it, it added some intrigue to the end of his recruitment. Not that there wasn't enough of that already, but it's just the you you wrote a column about it. Why don't you just take it away? Like, yeah, go well, ahead. I do have before that. I want to I want to ask you a question. So, like, when the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year in a Super Bowl, like somewhere in the bowels of that stadium, there were boxes of Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl champion T shirts in case the Chiefs won. And like I know, like always, the joke about like they get shipped overseas. Um, but I think there are people who would like to collect those too. Do you think it is possible for two four seven to make a non fungible 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 token of the JT two Maloa Oregon commitment graphic that they can sell to somebody as a as a keepsake? You know, it would be a really cool way for them to do it. They could create a depth chart of two deep of all the graphics of where kids could have gone. Yeah. Uh, when they didn't know, and then just go, here's what this team would have looked like had they gotten all the guys. Like, I would like to know. they probably delete them, but if you went and you added every single time Oregon or Ohio State or Alabama finished second in a recruitment, and then you put that together onto a list, you know, a lot of times I think fans just delete people out of their brains once those people don't go to their school. But, yeah. you know, you know who I'd love to see? I'd love to see Rutgers ones. Um, <laughs> I'd love to see Arizona State ones because they come in second for every California prospect on earth. Yeah. I'd like to see Oregon ones, too. Like the, one, the, the, the schools that have it the hardest are the ones that are recruiting nationally. So they're always in on, on major recruits, but they don't always finish because they're so far away. You know, it's just like what could have been for Arizona State? You know, I guess that's a whole other discussion <laughs> at yeah. this point. But, you know, there, there is a, a lot to that. So – um, but to sign two top three national players on the defensive line, you know, at a time where it feels like or has felt like there have been rumors that Larry Johnson could be winding this down, um, it's kind of like, you know what this reminded me of? When Urban Meyer signed the 2017 class, which at the time was the highest rated class in the history of, of recruiting rankings, I thought to myself, Urban just signed a four-year extension, mm-hmm. which is funny because that's not what happened at all. But sometimes when a player or a coach gets this group of players, it's almost impossible to retire while you have those guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't know if you you covered this at all in your column, and I'm going to let you talk about it, but A, is this the best recruiting job of, of Larry Johnson's career? And B, does it feel like he's got five more years left as a result of this? Uh, yes and yes. Uh, his uh, that, that was the, the crux of my column was that this is the best recruiting job in, in, in the history uh, in a long line of, of really good recruiting jobs done by Larry Johnson throughout his time at Penn State and Ohio State. And, you know, it's 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 unique circumstances, right? It's a kid from 3,000 miles away who you weren't able to see for 15 months. It was a probably close to a two-and-a-half-year, probably nearly three-year total process. But Think about that. If that's how long the process took, they didn't meet face to face until the very end, like nearly like three weeks before before the deal was closed, and, and they got JT to commit to the class. So, like for Larry Johnson, and part of it is him, like who he is. I think, um, I think it's hard to spend time around Larry Johnson and like just not sort of like get good vibes from him. Um, he's he's an older guy. He's very grandfatherly. Doesn't swear. We know all that stuff about him. I, I just think he's a, a, a nice guy to spend time around. But in addition to that, and probably more importantly than that, 
he is the best thing going when it comes to developing defensive linemen and like his reputation precedes him and that's what happened here jt Tuimaloa, i think took all the information he could from all these visits from these this two-year process of being recruited and i think the thing that mattered the most was who was going to get him to the nfl draft at the highest possible and, of, and I, I think of course the answer to that is larry johnson so um some of that's obvious but i also felt like larry johnson like and oftentimes I think we like praise coaches too much for what they do in recruiting or just sort of in general. I thought this was a hell of a job by Larry Johnson and, and it's hard for him to top. I don't think I'll ever top it. Um, but it does speak, I think too. that well, how the, could you Corey Foreman? Right. Would that be yeah, the only one? But it'd be like the same thing basically. Um, but even this was more unique than that. Like Corey Foreman was, was a, was a better ranked prospect in the composite rankings, but his recruitment, despite the fact that I guess that he decommitted, um, is a little more typical. Like JT's, was, I think, was very atypical. Um, and, and Larry Johnson still won that that battle too. Um, and it does, to me, suggest that, that you know he's got more than a tank. He's almost 70. He's not going to do it forever. I, I talked with him about this two years ago, and I think everyone on the beat by this point has had a conversation with Larry about like how long are you going to do this. Um, and I think he knows that there's going to come a point where he can't tell a kid that he's going to be here for his entire three or four years, clearly. Um, but I don't think that, we're there yet. I think he's, if you watch him at these camps in the summer, you watch him the, the little bit we get to go to practice. Like he's got a lot of juice for a guy who's that old. Um, and I think he still loves it. And, and I think he loves being in Columbus. So, you know, I don't think he's going to coach till he's 80, but I think he's probably got a good four or five years left on him at least. If, and, and I think he has the passion to do it still. Okay. So I'm going to break up the Larry Johnson love fest for a second. Okay. And cause everybody on the, on the beat and, Anybody who follows Ohio State recruiting has seen the Larry Johnson love fest. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to sound negative in a, in a time. <laughs> so I'm just brace yourself. But in the 2020 class, Ohio State signed defensive tackles who were rated in the mid to mid to, to lower. He didn't have a good class. I think. And okay. I think he would tell you that. Okay. In 2019, he signed Zach Harrison. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they had the Bosa brothers or whatever. But for as well as Larry Johnson has recruited, and you know, I guess maybe Teron Vincent is in this category too because he was five star prospect. But this is a unique get for even him. Yep. To get the the top end top five player, this is the first time he's done that, right? The national top five player from way out of your footprint who Chase. has every offer in the world. Chase Young too, I guess. But Maryland, you can drive to. Yep. You know, and I, I guess, and I'm not trying to like say, but, 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 I mean, they got Chase Young. I'm not saying that he hasn't done this, but I'm saying this one felt even different to me. And, you know, Absolutely. after last year's cycle and his age, I think that there would have been at least some thought process of can Larry Johnson pull a Corey Foreman type player, a JT Tuimalau type player. And the fact that he did that, I thought was valuable proof of something that I think could have began to doubt after last year. I think that's fair, right? I, I don't, you don't, you don't ever doubt Larry Johnson's prowess as a guy who develops a defensive lineman, but, but I do think, you know, I think you can say like, well, they have, they've been in the mix, right, for a lot of these top tier five star national defensive linemen, and they've won. I mean, you know, they got chased, but they've they've lost some too, um, and like some of the jobs too, like like Zachy, Zach Harrison was a sneaky good recruiting win, I think, for Ohio State. Yeah. I think you look at that on the surface, like, well, he's from Columbus, whatever. But like, I think like Michigan had a legitimate chance of getting him, and so did Penn State. And Larry Johnson had to work for that, and he did. Um, but I do think I do think that's fair, and and I also think it sort of dovetails nicely into what they're doing in 2022 because like I think they got a shot at Amari Abor. I think they might have a shot at an I White from Philadelphia, a shot at Kenyatta Jackson from from down in Florida. It's like. 
he doesn't typically put together classes like that. It's like a, a lot of the, the the top end pass rushers they've gotten with Chase Young kind of being the exception have either been from Ohio or had strong connections to the to the program like the Bosa brothers did. So this is different, and I'm wondering too if this possibly leads to Larry kind of you know capping his career by getting a couple other wins like that because I think he's positioned them to do so. Yeah, because you know what this you know what I just thought of the entire time. Um, or at least the hour after JT committed, I I thought of one prospect. You know who I thought of? Who's that? Brian Brzee from Clemson. Am I pronouncing his name right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We I used to call him Bre- uh, Breezy. Breezy. But, uh, Brzee. I just actually uh, Googled it, and that's correct. But he was the number one overall player in the 2021 class. He was from Maryland. That was the type of player that – because, you know, it's so easy to say, well – Look at everything that Ohio State's done with defensive linemen. I mean, look at Chase Young. Look at the Bosa brothers. Look at who wouldn't want to go play for Larry. That's the number one thing. The The resume is there. It's just like when they lost him to Clemson, it was kind of like, and I know Clemson's had tremendous defensive lines too, so don't get me wrong, but I just thought if Larry was going to close on somebody after Chase Young, Brzee was it. Yep. And he's going to be one of the best players in college football this year. So when they lost him, and that's somebody who was at the opening as a junior. Remember when we were there together watching him and yeah, dominating? absolute monster. Yeah. You know, the guy's unbelievable. And I just thought, well, it's good to get the Bosa brothers who, if we're being completely honest, the connection from Ohio State to the Bosas began with Urban. You know, they beca- it began with Joey and Urban, yeah. not, not Larry. And then, of course, recruiting the brother after the success that he had and, and was able to play for Larry. And I'm, I'm not taking anything away, but that was an Urban connection. So... This is the first time outside of Chase Young that he's landed the perennial can't-miss top-five player in the country at that position. So to be doing it on the edge of six, uh, on the edge of 70, excuse me, and then putting together that and taking, of course, whatever you can get with the Sawyer brother, you know, the Sawyer, and it, does he have a little brother? Because like that, he know. reminds me of Joey Bose a little bit. But, you know, putting these two guys on the same defensive line I'm just going to say this right now. If Ohio State doesn't win a national championship in the next three years, it's an embarrassment. If you if you look ahead at like 2022, because this class, I mean, it would be a little young, like 23, <laughs> like circle 23. <laughs> if they're not hosting a trophy at the end of 23, like I think something went horribly wrong with the way these classes are stacking up. Landis, there's what's the weakness here? This team is built like Alabama now. Uh, I would push back against that up front a little bit on the offensive line, and I think the I think the the que- I don't want to call them weaknesses. I think the questions are up front on offense and back end on defense. Yeah, um, I don't. I I think the, both those areas and they're and they're getting better. And I think they're at least in the back end of defense. I think they're def- definitely taking steps in the right direction. Um, I think that's maybe where they're lagging behind in Alabama a little bit. Um, but they've also like added quarterback to the mix, <laughs> which they weren't like they stacked 2017 and 2018 on top of each other. They were two awesome classes, but they're like, there wasn't a Quinn Ewers in those classes. Um, so that like, I don't know, balances out whatever shortcomings, perceived shortcomings you might I mean, have. They just signed Donovan Jackson. Forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interior. I don't, I, I wrote about this in like a mailbag last week. I have like no issue whatsoever with their interior offensive line recruiting. I think it's awesome. Um, I think their tackle recruiting is okay. But I think their tackle recruiting is not quite up to par with basically everything else. Every how, how they recruit every other position on the roster. 
I think okay. it could be better. Yeah, so you want to see a J.C. Latham. I want to see J.C. Latham. I want to see Zach Rice. And like we've talked, like we don't we don't rehash that. We talked about that a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. not to say like like maybe they get like they get Emil Wagner from uh, Wayne. I would love that because I think Emil Wagner is like a borderline top hundred guy now with the potential to be just as good as Zach Rice three years on the road because he has that kind of athletic profile. Like I love taking guys like that. Um, but every now and then, I would like to see you get yeah J.C. Latham. Um. Yeah, that I, I think that we've talked a lot about that. What about linebacker? Linebacker's hard without knowing like the direction of the defense. I think we can assume that they're moving more toward the kind of four two five deal. Um I don't have many issues with where they are at linebacker. I love CJ Hicks. I think like CJ Hicks, I don't know, I, I like might be a top five player in the country, regardless of position. I think he's that good. Um I love the Sam McCullough too. I, it was a shame for them that they lost him. But like if you're landing a CJ Hicks and granted he's in your backyard, um, they don't have anybody committed for 23 yet, but they seem to have themselves positioned well for a couple of top guys in that class. I like Al Washington as a recruiter. Um, I think they'll be okay there. There's just a lot of uh, a lot of balls up in the air still, I think, with linebacker recruiting. Yeah. It's just when you look at the way that the most important positions on the field are stacked on this roster, you know, there's a lot there. So – yeah. Um, One other thing about because I like I I didn't mention him and I, I suppose they're different positions and but he like got lost in the shuffle a little bit with the defensive line hall in 2021. Mike Hall is really freaking good. I like, know. Well, he had a late <laughs> jump, didn't he? Didn't he go from like 300 to, to 40? Really? Yes. Quick? And he's like, like I've talked with some like he's a. I think in some people's minds he is a five star prospect, and others maybe he's just on the cusp of that. He is an excellent defensive tackle who I think is going to be a great player at Ohio state. He didn't enroll early. He didn't get on campus until, until June, uh, early June. And like, he's not a, a defensive end, so they don't get as much shine guys on the interior, but I think he's going to be great. And like to have well, the defensive tackles are the ones in the sec that make that make them. Great. Right. Right. And like to have like Tui Malowell and Jack Sawyer is, is incredible. But I think when we're talking about that and how awesome it is, we should also include uh, Mike in that category. Tuimaloao started, um, or at least in his recruiting profile, was rated as a defensive tackle for a long time. He is he a hundred percent an end? I don't think so. I, I think you have to recruit him that way. I think he's Cam Hayward. Like I think he's built a lot like Cam Hayward, and the Cam Hayward is like more of an interior guy in the NFL. But he was a, he was an edge rusher in, in college. Like I just think he can do both. Um, but I mean Hayward got inside in college too. Yeah, I just think I think he I think Tui Malowal can do whatever you want him to do up front. But he's all, he's two hundred and seventy seven pounds, right? And and if you look at him, he doesn't look, at least in my opinion he doesn't quite look like he's that big. But like he's a big dude, and I think might get bigger. Um, so. Like, I don't think he's going to be, like, a defensive tackle by the end of his career. But I do think I, – I, I would bet a significant amount of money that you see him, like, as an interior pass rusher in rushman packages, like, as a freshman. And then maybe throughout his career they move him inside, just like they did with Chase Young, to get some more favorable matchups when teams are trying to triple team Is you. He, but, do you think him and Sawyer are playing a ton this year? I hope so, man. Like, no offense to who they have. I, I just haven't seen it, and like I, I think we've talked before. Like I'm bullish on Tyreek Smith, and like I'll I'll buy a little bit of Zach Harrison's turn in a corner. But like I've seen nothing from what they have coming back at defensive end that tells me that Jack Sawyer and GT Tuimaloa shouldn't get a shot to play it on this. What fall. would you say? Let me just ask you this: the over under would be set for Sawyer's sack total this year. Sawyer, Can I tell you mine? 
and then I'll tell you the total, and then you tell me, or do you want to tell me yours? No, no, go tell me yours. Six and a half. That's a good number. I'll go over maybe like seven, eight. I think I think I can get to seven and eight. If he gets it. to eight, that's production. Yeah, I mean that's downright playing a lot production. And I think I think I would set JT's maybe a little lower. I do I do think we're not giving. I, I, like it's exciting they got him. He's getting on campus late. Um, so like I think you and I think you have a little bit of the, of a luxury to be able to work him in slower. I think he was more of a situational player maybe in his first year than he is like an every down top four in rotation kind of guy. But I could be wrong. Um, but that would be my guess for JT more than Jack. I think Jack is Jack is already a top three in, and I like I think maybe he should be starting. And um, if he's not starting, I think he's going to get like play starter rotation minutes if that makes sense. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So the reason why I brought up this, the Alabama-ish type stuff is because I'm thinking about quarterback. We know that they're fine there. Yeah. Too fine. Hold on. Before we do that. Yeah. Uh, like the basketball stuff with JT. <laughs> oh, I was, I was going to ask you that too, but I was going to wait till we were done with football. But um, is he going to play basketball? So like if you're asking me my personal opinion, I would guess that he does not, but I think they're going to give him the shot too. Like he's going to, he met with Chris Holmer and the staff on his official visit. I think everyone saw the picture of him in the basketball uniform and his graphic. Like there have been conversations with Chris Holman and Ryan Day about JT trying to play basketball as a. Is he a scholarship player? player? How does that work? No, no, if you have he'd a football be football scholarship. Be, then you don't need the basketball. Right, one, he'd be right? a walk on for basketball. He wouldn't count against a basketball scholarship. But I think if he, if JT Tumaloa was who he is today and never touched a football in his life and like just decided he wanted to play basketball, I think he's like a legitimate Division One high level college basketball player. What is he um, a four? Yeah, four. Yeah, because he's like six five, I guess. So like he's like a he's like a he's like Jay Sean Tate, but bigger. Um, I I think I will be. Fairly shocked if he ever gets on the floor in Ohio State basketball uniform. Um, Who's the last football player to play basketball? Was it Nate Sally? Nate Sally. That's I the think. only one that I can think of. I think, I think he's And the that last was one, all yeah. the way back in 2002. And I'm going to bring this up because I want to get your take on this, Mr. Basketball Beat Writer. But I went to Houston a few weeks ago to write a story about Texas A&M quarterback commit Connor Wegman. Mm-hmm. And um, not that anybody on this podcast would care about that, but he's a really good quarterback. He was at the Elite 11 this week. And he would have potentially or could potentially be a Major League Baseball draft pick. And he has it in his head that he's going to play baseball too. And I understand that those are a little bit different because one's a a fall sport, one's a spring sport. But he was saying like, well, I'm going to go to spring football and I'm going to work out and go through practice of spring football and I'm going to run over to the stadium and play a game. 
And it's like he does that sort of thing for his high school or he'll get a – I mean, we're talking about a kid who would have major workouts on Fridays before games. Um, Is he a pitcher? He's a shortstop. Okay. But I don't know if that's manageable at the college level. Like, I don't think – even if you're in great shape, I don't know if you – depending on – even if you're the most amazing athlete of all time, if you have it in your tank to be great at two things at once. And it's like, what's well, the We've point? seen it happen. Like, Kyler Murray did it. Um, James yeah. Winston played baseball at Florida State. And, like, a lot a lot of quarterbacks have played baseball. Who's the, who's the best football-basketball combo ever? Antonio Gates, maybe? Yeah. And I guess, like, it also depends on, like, what JT Tuimalau wants out of his basketball career. Because, like, if you want to be a walk-on who um, – plays four or five minutes every now and then or whatever, then I think that's manageable. But in order to be really good at basketball and to be really good at football, I also just don't know how manageable it is from a skill standpoint. And then the other thing too, that I think of is if you're an interior defensive lineman or a rush guy, or even an edge guy, part of that is bulking up and getting bigger and stronger. And I don't know what the conditioning of basketball does for that. You know, and I don't know if that's like a yeah. weird thought, but it's just running up and down and doing suicides and doing a ton of cardio. I don't know how that fits into his body plan. I just don't. I think it's hard. Like I, th- we've seen there have been guys on the football team who've done like indoor track in January, um, but they. But this been, is a this is a defensive lineman. I mean, no, a lot I of just, these guys are, I just are skill players, right? I, just, I listen. If he wants to try it, I think you know more power to him. Um, you know, I, I think it'd be interesting to watch him to watch him try it, and I think it's something you have to leave on the table during the recruiting process. You're like, if he, not to say you're deliberately misleading him, but if something he's interested in, I think you promise him that you know you'll, you'll look into it and try to make it work. But I also think over time he'll come to the realization that the time management portion of it won't allow him to do both. But like Ohio State's football season, best case scenario ends. Like the third Mid-June, week of January, yeah, or the third January, week of January, yeah. and then like the next week, he's going to Champagne <laughs> with with the boys to play Illinois. Like I don't, I don't, I don't. Well, think. what do you do too if you're a major part of Ohio State's basketball team in November? Right, uh, or like, and like he's not going to miss spring ball, right, for the Big Ten tournament. So I don't know. I think. I think you could see him like go through the layup line, like put on a uniform, sit on the end of the bench. Like maybe they'll get him into the end of a game if it's a blowout. If you can come across a game like that during Big Ten play, but can Ohio State's basketball team use him with where they're on? Because you're the expert on where they are on the roster. Like, do they need a four? No, they have EJ Liddell. I mean, they'll need a four next year, <laughs> but not this year. Yeah, or or not this coming season. Um, I just didn't know if they needed like a role player to come off the bench when Liddell's in foul trouble or something. Uh. You know, they have him, they have Kyle Young, they have Joey Brunk, they have Zed Key. Sharpshooter from the corner there and Kyle Young, you know? That's right. Guy goes four for four and then doesn't get to play the rest of the year, poor kid. But he's back. He's back for a fifth year. Um, no, does the basketball, like, I? no, they don't need him. Because, like, Oregon's basketball program offered him a scholarship. So did Washington's, yeah. And I don't know yeah. I don't know if that was just Mario Cristobal calling up the calling on the phone, hey, bud, we, yeah. we need John. He's going to pull the lefty in, yeah. you know? <laughs> but... I just don't know if it's possible. It's not possible from a time management standpoint. And you know who the best basketball player who ever played at Ohio State football was? It was like Chris Gamble. Yeah. And you know who else was awesome at basketball? Terrell Pryor. Garrett Wilson's really good too, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, anybody who can Tyreek, jump. Actually, Tyreek Smith's a good basketball player. Tyreek Smith could play yeah. D1 basketball. 
That kid was awesome at Cleveland Heights. Um, I, yeah, I'm not. I w- I would bet against it, and it's nothing. I just think it's going to be really difficult. Um, and I like JT Tuimaloao. Like I mentioned, Antonio Gates. Antonio Gates was undrafted. JT Tuimaloao has the chance to be the first player selected in the NFL draft. And it's like, I mean, you can break your leg walking down the street, I guess, but I would not want to put myself on a basketball court when I have that kind of earning potential. But, you know, if he loves it, he loves it. So I'm not going to tell him he's making a mistake if he does do it, but I, I would, I think I'd be surprised if he did it, if it ended up happening. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be fun to, you know, at least it's interesting to see them try. I think it's fascinating to see him try, and it's like, yeah, and I think they're going to let him explore what that could possibly look like. I just don't know if it's ever going to lead to him getting on the floor. But if he does, like if he's there, if JT Tuimaloa is on the basketball team, I will be there ready to watch him play basketball because I think it would be fascinating. Is that a football story or a basketball story? I don't know. Let me check with the basketball beat writer and <laughs> see what he thinks. <laughs> JT Tuimaloa could be the reason for the resurgence of the interest in basketball coverage. That's true. That That's that's real. Okay. Like Take, he, what, forget everything what, I said, what, JT. What, play basketball so people will read my basketball stories. What if he was like a double-double guy? I mean, I think I think he is good enough that if, like I said, if he put all of his effort into being a basketball player, like he could be a double double guy. He's pretty good. It's just, I'm a double double guy. He'd also uh, that's in and out though. He'd be a, I'm a yeah I'm a big double double guy. I didn't know. I think he'd be like a very good tight end if he wanted to play that. And like I talked to his coach one time, um, I forget sometime in the last year, and he said like JT is one of those annoying kids where like everything he does he's good at. Like give him a golf club, we'll figure it out. Like they went and bowled one time, and JT's like I've never done this before, and they bowled like a one ninety. So like I think he just has like that thing to him where he's good at whatever he decides he wants to do. Um, but if I were advising him, I would advise him to play football. So I sent Terrell Pryor a DM on uh, Twitter. Uh, just to talk about the NIL stuff, because I thought it would be like a fascinating thing if he would just open up about it. Um, and then somebody asked me about Terrell Pryor in the uh, mailbag that I do for recruiting every week, trying to understand why Terrell was rated what he was when he probably wasn't the most prototypical draft pick at that time uh, in terms of like what you would expect out of a quarterback. But I have a hot take, too. I think Terrell Pryor would have been an NBA player if he went all in on basketball. That's interesting. I, I don't remember. I remember people going to his basketball games during his recruitment, but I can't remember anything about him as a basketball Nobody. Player. He's built like LeBron. Yeah. There's like, and if you have that body type, you know, I don't know how great of a shooter Terrell Pryor was or whatever, but if he would have spent his entire time focusing on just basketball, his body type, his athleticism, and his speed would have lent well towards the idea of making it to the NBA, in my opinion. He's like legit six six, right? Six 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 seven. Legit six six runs a four three eight forty. Or I do remember about him. I always tell people the biggest person I've ever seen in my life is LeBron James. I walk past him in the hallway at the shot when they're playing there, and like he's not the tallest person I've ever seen, but he's the biggest person I've ever seen in my life is LeBron James. Um, but when when Terrell Pryor played in Beaver Stadium when I was in school, I don't know how it happened, but I got seats like on the field, like behind one of the end zones. There's like seats that are like right on field level at Beaver Stadium, and I was in those seats behind the end zone during warm-ups, watching Terrell Pryor throw, just like loosen up. Probably the second biggest human I've ever seen in my life is Terrell Pryor. That well, what's dude LeBron? Is LeBron listed at 6'7"? I think LeBron is like 6'8", like 6'8", 250. Yeah, and people who are 6'8", 250 pounds aren't supposed to be able to run that fast. Right. 
And I don't know if there are very many other people on the face of the earth that have the Terrell Pryor LeBron body. Yeah. It's like when you think about... I certainly the, don't. If you think about every crazy freak athlete that's come into Ohio State's program for the past 10 years... And it's like Chase Young was one of those freaks. And like, who do you think is the most freakish athlete, just from a physical standpoint, that ever came in during your time on the beat? Ooh, that's a good question. Because uh, Zach you, Harrison, maybe. Okay, Zach Harrison. Zach Harrison? Was the Zach Harrison story? He ran like a, a, a ten eight hundred meters in sneakers in the rain. <laughs> He's six. Yeah, and his sneakers were like nine <laughs> sizes too big or something. I don't know. All I know is that Zach Harrison is not a better athlete than Terrell Pryor. Yeah. You know, and it's just got me thinking just like this nil stuff and this mailbag question got me thinking of like what i would have done to see terrell in a ryan day offense oh with yeah Ryan day yeah, yeah, instruction because yeah. yeah. i think he came eight years too early yeah i think that's right i think that's right and it's like i don't know what would have happened if he didn't get removed for the team for selling his own belongings but if he got to play his last year at ohio state in 2011 like ohio state a might have won the national title that year if they had everybody back and B, he might have been a top 10 pick instead of going in the supplemental draft or whatever happened to him. Yeah. And it's just like nobody has gotten screwed more in NIL and, I guess, generation when they were signed than Terrell Pryor. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And he's still a millionaire. I mean, he had a thousand yard receiving. Like, to think that's about the how thing crazy. About it. Like, he's like, I'll play receiver now. Like, he was good. <laughs> he had a thousand yard receiving year for the Browns and yeah. played like Calvin Johnson for a year. And then it kind of. And then, like, the Browns offered him some crazy extension or whatever, multi-year extension. He said no for some reason and then played the open market, then had a one-year deal somewhere else, and then his career fell apart. Yeah. But he was pretty close to having a pretty large multi-year receiver deal with the Browns just deciding that he wanted to play receiver in the league. And it's like if he would have played receiver in college, he might have been Calvin Johnson. I forgot he had that good of a season. 77 receptions, 1,007 yards, only four touchdowns. Yeah, I think he also had a rushing touchdown that year, didn't he? He did, yeah. Yeah. And also, his touchdowns were all grabbing balls off the crown of the defensive back's helmet. Yeah. (laughs) And that was just like, okay, I'm athletic. Let's just try this. (laughs) What a freak. No, honestly, that guy, there will never be another one, I don't think. And if there is, then it's it's just like Sasquatch. What are you talking about? Tim Tebow is going to be an NFL tight end. Yeah, we'll see how, go, how that goes. Yeah. yeah, even if he does turn out, isn't Terrell Pryor on the Jaguars right now? Oh, I don't. I thought he was well out of the league. He might be out of the league. I don't know. Let's do a quick Google. According to Wikipedia, no, he was on the Jaguars in 2019. I didn't know if he was like on the practice squad or oh, something. Yeah, 2019. Yeah, I didn't know if Urban brought him back out. You know, <laughs> he's just putting the yeah, putting the whole crew back together. He's going to get his chance to coach Terrell Pryor in that kind of offense. Yeah. Okay, so JT's JT's in the mix. You were out in L.A. But real quick, now, because you're jumping the gun. Yeah. So I brought up the Alabama thing, and when you think about where they are at quarterback, it goes without saying, right? Yep. Running back with Trey Henderson as a freshman, you get three years out of him. Evan Pryor also signed. Um, the defensive line goes without saying after the discussion we had. Have some questions about secondary and um, – linebacker but it looks like they're they're getting talent and in those areas but kojo oh yeah they just got a commitment from a top 120 receiver and i thought to myself do they have room for these people anymore they also got uh they got terrence brooks too since the last time we committed and like terrence brooks i think a lot of people thought he was going to go to alabama 
cornerback. Yeah. Um, just like as we're talking about Ohio State versus Alabama. Though, uh, room for Kojo, like technically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they needed well, a fourth receiver. But. They are losing, like you said, four receivers after this year. Right. So, yeah, like Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner are no longer on the roster. Um, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are going to the NFL after this year. Cam Babb had another injury setback, but, like, you know, we won't write him off just yet. Um, and then you have Jackson Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison Jr., Jaden Ballard, and Mika And so you have – I think you can reasonably think you'll have five receivers coming back after this year. So you're adding four to that. That's not insane. Like nine, nine scholarship receivers I think is normal. But it's not normal when eight of them are top 100 players. <laughs> and, and a guy who's not is like you know a top 150 player. Yeah, he sucks because he's only a top 115 player. He's but, like I think he's interesting in this class because I mean I was reading about him. Apparently he's like amazing. Like he I think like Keon Grays is a slot, and I think like Caleb Burton is like Garrett Wilson, you can kind of put him anywhere. And I think Caleb Brown is probably more of a slot. And all these guys can play all over the place. I'm not trying to pigeonhole them. But in terms of like physical like ball winner on the outside, like that's Kojo Antwe. Like and, and I think that makes him different than the other guys in, in the class that he's in. I don't even know where to begin with this. They're great. Brian Hartline, don't miss. I yeah, I don't know. I don't know I, how. All, all I can it. say I is this: I don't know. I, I, how does Ohio, you hear the my voice cracking? <laughs> I, I don't know. Okay, just you get it. Everybody knows what they're doing at that position, and it's just like every time they get a receiver committed, it's just like when is this going to stop? Is there you would have. It's okay if you don't have an answer to this, but you you have a better chance of having an answer to it than I would. Is there anyone that's comparable to what Brian Hartline is doing in no. terms of like getting the best players year after year for one position? Uh, not that I'm aware of. It's like Alabama has so much staff turnover, it's hard to compare it. You right. know? Yeah. And there's no other team that's recruiting talent at this level, so you just automatically eliminate all of them. So I would say the answer to that question is no. Um, I don't know. I, I added this up, and I always forget because – uh, when Caleb Burton uh, committed, I think I added it up, but I think Ohio State has signed more top 100 players in the last three classes at receiver than the rest of the Big Ten has signed top 100 players combined at every position. I think that's right. I think that's, yeah. Which is <laughs> one position room on one team outweighing everybody else at every other position in the entire conference combined is an extraordinarily absurd stat that I don't think I can stress enough. Yeah, I looked. I might have said this on the podcast before, but because I looked it up after they got Caleb Brown at the beginning of June, top sixty receivers, regardless of class, twenty nineteen to twenty twenty one. Ohio State has three of the top four, which is insane. And of those top sixty, they have eleven, and the next closest team is Oklahoma with six. Making a duck face yeah. with my lip And it's out. like, you know, like Mookie Cooper transferred and Jamison William transferred. Like, it's not that all these guys are going to hit. But there's something to be said for merely attracting the talent to your program. <laughs> and Brian Hartline is doing that better, better certainly than any other receivers coach. And I think without looking it up, I feel fairly confident he's saying better than any other position coach. He's doing it better than any other position coach in college football. So, so the question out to I have, too, is, is, and I, I don't know if this has been done, and I think Brian Hartline, he was always very accessible to me when I needed something and when I was on the beat. Um, what are his actual career aspirations? Yeah, I think it's fascinating. 
Because that is a story that needs to be told. And it's like every assistant that recruits what we went through this with Larry Johnson, you know? It's like there was a time I remember like five, six years ago we were wondering if Larry was trying to be a head coach somewhere, you know? And Brian Hartline is in a different kind of class because he made a generational amount of money in generational amount of money uh, with the Dolphins, right? Didn't he sign a max receiver deal? So he has... You got a big contract. And, and I also... He's got some kindergarten cop money laying all over the floor right I now. I don't know I this. I don't know this for certain. I think maybe I've like I think maybe I like heard this. I think I think he's letting that money work for him. Like I think he's I think he's like invested smartly. So I think he's his motivations for becoming a head coach would I don't think be financial in the least bit. I just don't want I just don't know what the odds of him being like the next offensive coordinator somewhere are. Does he want to be a coordinator? Well, I think I think like Kevin, if Notre Dame, if Notre Dame was like, you can come be our offensive coordinator next year with what they did with Marcus Freeman, like, is that a job that Brian Hartline would want? I don't think he would do that. I think if Notre Dame came to him with that offer and he was interested in it, he would just become the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, which I do think, because like what Notre Dame's doing with with Freeman right now is is really really good. Yes, but they're different. Like Freeman, Freeman's path is different, obviously. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't want to speak for Brian Hartley because I've not had these conversations with him. I think I'd be surprised if he left Ohio State anytime soon. Um, I think I, the Notre Dame question is the perfect scenario of like what could get him to do it, though. Yeah. Like a place like that that needs his recruiting more than they need his coaching. Right. And I just don't know, too. And another question that would be good if you were ever, ever to get the story is how much does being a wide receivers coach prepare you for the duties of being a coordinator if you take recruiting off the table? Yeah, Urban was a receivers coach and never became a coordinator. Yeah. And the, didn't you write a story about coaches who went from head coach without ever being a coordinator? I did. At the list and is, wasn't Urban one of them? Urban's one. Um, I think, is Dabo one? Dabo, I believe, was one. The list is pretty short. The list is pretty... Or I I can't remember if I, I don't know that. if Dabo I think, is. I think I... I can't remember if I wrote that or if I wrote something like about play callers becoming head coaches or something. But I think like the, the, the list of people who became head coaches without first being a coordinator, I think is very short. And the best, it's also, I the think best if I remember correctly, pretty successful too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think Hartline, like if Bowling Green was like Brian Hartline, you can be the head coach tomorrow. Would you do that? No way. I, I can't imagine. That would shock me. If a, if a, if a top ten program in the country, what said about company, Louisville? Maybe. I'm just trying to come up with fake job offers that would make him leave. I don't know. Maybe it's just me being naive. I don't. I just don't think he's going to leave. I think. I. Think I, I think I would pursue that if I were you. How? Like, is he just Ohio? Like, is he Ohio State's next head coach? Like, I don't know. Sounds like something I'd want to read. Yeah. We could also talk about that for like another hour, I think. <laughs> yeah. Who, who's Ohio State's next head coach next week? Not that we're, um, not that we're pushing Ryan Day aside because I think Ryan Day is going to be here for, for quite some time. But Buddy, we're at 45 minutes and we haven't even gotten to yours yet. So yeah, I don't know if this about, is going to be an hour and a half. But <laughs> Let's talk about Quinn. Um, let's talk about Quinn. He's still good, right? Yeah, he's really good. Okay, good, 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 good. He didn't win the Elite 11. Um. Cade is a Klubnik or Klubnik? 
Uh, I've been calling him Klubnik. Okay, Cade Klubnik, uh, also from Texas, whose team beat. It might be Klubnik, no. Just I think, to be, I think it's Klubnik. I'm going to go with. I'm just going to call him Cade. Uh, also from Texas, committed to Clemson. His team actually beat Quinn Ewer's team in the state title game, which I don't think means anything because I also think Quinn was hurt that game. Um, but he won. And I think your assumption of mine was probably that Quinn was going to win because that's typically just kind of how those things go. But I also think Quinn was like sort of an impossible position where it's like everyone already thought he was perfect. So like the second he shows any kind of blemish, like he gets dinged for it. Um, and it sounded like he, like, you know, he was. It did sound to me from reading your story, from watching some video that came out of that, that he was perhaps not at his sharpest, even if he was still overly impressive. Well, the thing that you have to take into account with him is that the whole. What I said I was going to do on the podcast last week, I did. If you haven't listened to, or if you haven't been on theathletic.com, I uh, encourage you to go read the story because I wrote a story basically explaining how he got the highest rating of all time. And it kind of is not fair to him. So basically, the reason why he is the number one player of all time, along with Vince Young and five other players who didn't play quarterback is because of being the consensus number one player for all the services. So right now, everybody universally agrees that he's the number one overall player. And that takes into account when you have your composite rating. And I'm not going to try to explain the team composite ranking because it looks like something that you would see in goodwill hunting on a chalkboard. (laughs) But if another five-star quarterback, he's the only five-star quarterback in the country. And I think that can change. You know, here in the next few weeks, as the rankings change, the Elite 11s in the books. Um, but if if Trevor Lawrence were in this same class, and one half the sites thought that Lawrence was one, and Ewers site or half the sites thought Ewers was one, his rating would be different. So it's not his rating isn't a result of people re- analyzing him and saying he's by far the best quarterback prospect we've ever seen. It's just that he doesn't have as much competition as some of the other guys did. Or at least he did. And I'll be. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, or didn't at a certain point yeah. from what the way that people viewed it. So, and I'll remind you with the Elite 11 too, it's not just about your performance at the camp, it's also about your tape. And Quinn Ewers was injured, he had a hernia, I think, or something, and then played through that, and then it is what it is. Now, that said, Trevor Lawrence didn't win the Elite 11 either. Right. You know, and it was just kind of like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but Justin Fields did. Yeah. And both are really, really good. And I think that when you see that Cade Klubnik is going to Clemson, it's just like, okay, well, I can't wait to watch round three of this in the playoff in two years, which we probably will. I think we will. But he is tremendously good, all that said. And the thing that everybody always told me about him before I saw him in person was how he plays the game with such ease. This dude doesn't even look like he's trying, and he'll like run to the left and throw a 60-yard dart to the right off of his back leg with a flick of a wrist like he didn't even sweat. Yeah. There was a certain level of, and it, you know what it kind of reminded me of? And again, this isn't a game setting, so it's not the same thing. But remember how we always like talk about Cardale Jones and how he just kind of giggled everything off during the playoff run and never let the moment become too big? It's like he has that personality trait where it's just kind of like, I'm going to do this. It's not that hard and I'm really good and it doesn't take much effort to be accurate. And there were certain times where he, you know, made some bad throws and when he did make bad throws, the entire camp froze like the Armageddon was coming. And like that's not fair to him and that's something that has created based on his rating. But the rating isn't a result of him. 
So he's being held to a standard yeah. that is more about circumstance than it is about talent. And the thing I will say is for as good as he is, the gap between him and, and Cade Klubnik and Kyle McCord and some of the other players of that camp isn't as extraordinarily big as his rating would in would imply. So I'm just trying to temper expectations, but that said, he's a five-star quarterback without question. So how you put that into, like if, if Quinn was rated the number 21 overall player and the number three quarterback or the number two quarterback in the class, I think people would view Kyle McCord differently. And I'm trying to urge people to remember that Kyle McCord is in that same playing field. Yeah. So, you know, I do think, in my opinion, that Quinn is the best quarterback prospect Ohio State's ever gotten from a look standpoint. But I don't know if I would view him as somebody who's just going to take over the program the second he gets on campus. He still is going to have to work for it. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's right. Yeah. And I, I do encourage you if you're listening to this and you haven't read the story that already wrote, um, go to the athletic.com slash four dash six, get subscribed. Um, the story, the headline is rated higher than Trevor Lawrence question mark and Ohio state commit and the impossible task of ranking elite high school quarterbacks. Really good context. I think on how this stuff comes together, that the most interesting of which is, is what you said Ari, about how, how he ends up with a perfect rating. And it's not that they view him as perfect. It's that they view him as the best among his peers. And he's just sort of like the consensus number one in this class. And that leads to him having that ranking. Um, the other two things, there's a lot of that I liked in the story, but two other things I liked in the story where like, there is something about him that feels different. And like me not knowing what I'm looking at, can never really put my finger on it, but I like what it's jo- hard to quantify. I like what Joey Roberts said. The, um, and he is what the director of the elite 11. He's, he's the guy about. who scouts everybody. Yep. Uh, and this is like a little in the weeds, I suppose, but like uh, the rotation per millisecond on, on Quinn yes. Ewer's ball, he said is the best in his class and maybe the best ever. And it's like, okay, like I like, it's like quantifying like something you like, you knew you were looking at was a little different. Like he can, he can spin it. Like it, the thing about it too being and like I, there were a few times where he threw it to the sideline and I was ne- like a yard next to the person that he was throwing it to. When the ball arrives at the target point, it I feel like you can feel it. It doesn't dip like the ball is just like boom. A lot of quarterbacks like a, you'll see throw the ball and the ball will 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 die at the end and and his ball like has life all the way through it. And then the second it hits their hands, it almost feels like their hands should hurt. So the velocity of it. And there were a lot of different quotes that I got because I talked to Steve Wiltfong, um, national recruiting analyst for 247. I talked to Joey Roberts. I talked to some of the coaches there. And there's a lot. You guys have no idea how much quarterback lingo there is. (laughs) Like when it comes to just like rotational – they have microchips in balls now that can measure how fast it's rotating in the air for how long it's – but like they they talk about footwork and – you know, platforms like what's the word platform? Just based on where you are on off the field flat. and how like you're, if, yeah, whether or not your feet are underneath you or not, as and if they're not, you're yeah, off yeah. platform. Yeah, and but there's a different. There's all different types of platforms yeah. that you can throw off of back leg, front leg, off balance, um, and all the things that you would think from just trying to to grade a guy is is all there just from an E standpoint. And again, it doesn't even look like he's trying that hard. But the thing that everybody agreed on that I talked to, and it wasn't something that we were going to find out at the elite 11. It's just that his game tape Mm -hmm. is so, so elite at the highest possible level of high school football. And he had been doing it since he was a sophomore. And last year he had did it with a injury and he's just a truly elite playmaker across the board. But it's also important to understand how he arrived there because 
if you are at the Elite 11 camp, Bill, you are awesome. Yep. Like, they're all awesome. And Drew Aller, who Ohio State didn't take in the uh, 2022 class out of Ohio, who's now going to Penn State, is awesome. And Cade Klubnick is awesome. And Malik Murphy is they're, they're all. So the hardest thing to do, I think, as a recruiting writer and a recruiting analyst is to rank these guys because there isn't a lot of, of effort. Or, I mean, there isn't a lot of um, separation between them. And the effort that it would take in order to get those correct is impossible. And mm-hmm. the quote in the story that I thought was most fascinating was that and they view the, the, this through an NFL lens. They're grading these guys as NFL prospects. And Joey Roberts, the guy who's breaking them all down and runs quarterback camps and you know could talk to you about the quarterback position for 12 straight hours, which to for you would probably be like the greatest possible <laughs> experience great. of all kind. Number. I have his number. I'll call him. <laughs> yeah, just call him because sh- he likes shooting the shit too. Um, is that if you had 10 NFL general managers come to the Elite 11 with no prior notion of who these people were, and let them watch the three-day workout, that the order in which that they would draft these guys would all be different. Yeah. And I think that that's true, and it's also true in the NFL draft. For sure. The way that Mel Kuyper views these guys and the way that a college coach and the way an NFL GM, the rankings between Trey Lance, uh, Justin Fields, and um, Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, I guess, was the clear number one. But, you know, the the second-tier – two through five guys all would have gone in different orders probably if you looked at all their boards. So the one takeaway here is that Quinn Ewers is unquestionably an elite level five-star prospect and is in with some debate, maybe the most complete quarterback Ohio state will have ever signed if that day comes or when that day comes. But the thing that I'm trying to warn people is, is to not put him on a pedestal like he is Trevor Lawrence from day one. Because at the end of the day, he's still just a five-star quarterback who is competing against other guys who also had amazing traits on that same field. And it's the first time in his entire life he's ever been at the same place at the same time as all of them at once. And if you were standing on the sideline, and be like, holy crap, quarterbacks are just better now than they were 10 years ago. Yeah. No, I think that's important. And and I'm sure you and I are guilty of that, too, to an extent. Like, when they signed him, I think we both went nuts. And, like, everybody went nuts. He's a five-star quarterback. He was the number one player in the class. And, or not signed him, got his commitment. Um, it's, like, a big deal. And I think he's going to be a very good college player. But I guess I would, I would caution people on two things now. Like, one, don't put him on a pedestal because of that, like you said. Um, because he's not, you know, he's not running away from everybody else who's ever played the position. And also, two, and I didn't sense a lot of this, but if there is any of it, like, the fact that he didn't win the Elite 11 – doesn't matter. <laughs> like it's cool to see him on that stage, but I think yeah. what Steve Wolfong in your story said too. Like, and I, I would agree with him. It's like watch this, watch his tape, watch how he competes in game settings. I also didn't realize like he Quinn doesn't play seven on seven, which is like fascinating um, to be as ranked as highly as he is and not play seven on seven. Um, but like that's as much as it is, it's a, it's a good stage I think to evaluate QBs. It's not actually like football, so. I mean, they do all sorts of crazy shit. Now. Yeah, I know. Like they're they're like, also, like throwing have... through those targets, the circle targets that you would throw like in a carnival. They're making them do weird stretches. Like it's not just go did, out there and throw the ball around. There's a lot happening. Did there. anybody question how much they were making these kids throw over a four or five day span? They were throwing a lot. <laughs> it seems but, like a lot. Well, it's when you're there, you also understand too that these camp sessions are four or five hours uh, a day. And for three of the hours, the prospects might have their warm-ups on because yeah. they have to go in succession. They're not all throwing all of the – they are throwing a lot, 
but some of the days would be a four-hour session and each guy got one turn to go through their pro day. So it wasn't like everybody was throwing continuously for four straight hours, five days in a row. Yeah. Um, but the one takeaway from this is, and if you go back and you listen to last week's show, is recruiting rankings seem easy to digest. They're ranked one through 100 or one through 1,000 or whatever it is. And you just go, oh, well, that guy's rated higher than others. But it's important to remember that they're truly complex in how you digest them. And even me, who spends 40 hours a week reading them and studying them and writing about them, it took me getting to California for me to realize why Quinn Ewers was rated the way he was. Like, it took an epiphany of talking to people of like, oh, that's why. Because if you go back last week, I said, well, what is it about him specifically that makes him get that 1.000 rating? And it's less about him as it is about the class around him. Mm-hmm. And it's so so just kind of take that take that little piece of knowledge and just understand the context of how he's rated that way. Now, go ahead and be excited about him. The guy might be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft in four years. This isn't me saying that he isn't that very, very good. He absolutely is. But just don't hold him against the standard that he didn't create and like the lead of my story was he missed a throw during a competition and the entire camp went, Oh my God, everybody freaked out. Like it was the first time they've ever seen anybody miss a pass. And it's because he's held to an unrealistic expectation based on a rating that really has nothing to do with his skill set. Yeah. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events. We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So I don't know if you guys know this, but when I bought my engagement ring. I bought it at a jeweler about 10 minutes from my house, and it gives me anxiety thinking about how much money it was. But in order to save some money, I shipped it to Florida to evade taxes, which is completely legal. Love but that. if you ship it to Florida, you don't have to pay taxes in either state. Um, so I just paid whatever the thing was worth. And then I went to uh, my dad, my best friend's dad's house who held it for me and picked it up. But while I was down there, I was like, Bill... I'm in Florida, which is basically Philly South. That's and true. I was just wondering, like, which should I go eat? And, of course, I went to Wawa. And I was like, dude, the, and I, I think this is a hot take. I don't love the Wawa pretzels that they put up by the cash register. Yeah, neither do I. Like, I think they're fine. They're okay. I want the legit Philly pretzel. Like, how do I get that? You know, the ones that are crunchy on the outside, but once you bite in, they're soft. And you said there's Philly pretzel factories all over the place in Florida. And I found a few, but they were kind of far away and the the hours were weird at the time. And then now all of a sudden I wake up and I see this picture on your Twitter. I'm like, what got, (laughs) what got into you? Uh, So it was the 4th of July. Um, We had like done some stuff in the morning. 
um, went to the park, like did some yard work and stuff like that. I was just like sitting around kind of with nothing to do. And I like, I, something, something triggered my memory that like I, I had before seen that there was one in Ohio. So I looked up where it was. It's in Centerville. It's about an hour, 15 minutes from where I live in Columbus. Um, but it was open on the fourth and I, I was literally sitting around with nothing to do. I was home by myself. Um, so I said, uh, I'm going to get in the car and drive out to Centerville and get some pretzels. Where was Leah? She was out with a friend, I think. Oh, okay. Um, so you drove an hour maybe, and 15 minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I drove out there. I hit a couple targets to see if I could find any uh, uh, sports cards. I thought they don't sell them. You keep confusing me. They put soccer on the, on the shelves. I was looking for some soccer. They didn't have any, though. Um, so I went to the Pretzel Factory. It's funny. I got out of the car at the Pretzel Factory. It's in a strip mall. And I walk into the front door, and I'm wearing uh, a maroon like uh, throwback Philly set. And there's a guy sitting in front of the store who has, like, when I, when I first looked at him, it looks like he's wearing the same hat. I was like, oh, this is cool. There's a guy from Philly sitting outside. And I got closer. I was like, oh, it's not a Philly hat, whatever. And then I got right up to him, and he was wearing a Temple Owls hat, a uh, maroon Temple oh, Owls hat. I see. And, yeah. uh, so it got even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, and he pointed to my hat. He's like, you don't see many hats like that around here. And I pointed to the sign for the store. I was like, you don't see many of these around here. And, he, and I said, are you from Philly? He's like, yeah, we're from Philly. We just found out this is here. I was like, I lived here for seven years, and I just found out this is here. And we bonded over that. And then I went in, and I bought 25 pretzels <laughs> with some hot um, mustard. So, how do they travel? Good. I you think, get to heat them up. So, so pretzel. I got them fresh out of the oven, like so much so that they had to put like uh, paper bags underneath the box because it was so hot for me to carry out. Um, so they held up. They hold up pretty well, in my opinion, for like two days, and then like on the third day, which I guess is today, they start to to harden up a little bit. But I think if you put them in the microwave, they they get their form back and, and can soften up. Um, after you get like four or five days, they're a little hard to eat because like the salt. I don't know. I don't know what the proper term for, it, but like the salt just sort of like evaporates um, and the pretzels become like a little soggy. So um, I wouldn't recommend trying to keep them around for more than like three or four days. And obviously if you can eat them day of or two days, that that's the best fresh out of the oven with uh, spicy brown mustard is the way to go. Um, but yeah, I bought 25. There's probably, that's a lot bill. Yeah. Ask me how many are left. <laughs> how many are left? Uh, like eight. <laughs> how many did you put down on the car ride home? Uh, three. But when you say the so when you get a pretzel at the Philly Pretzel Factory, it's not the full pretzel, right? It's like a half of one, or it's is it the like full, it's shaped like, like an it's shaped. It's not like you 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 yeah, are like yeah, an people don't, pretzel. They, they view, yeah, people it's view like, that as the pretzel. It's, it's like half of one of those, right? Kind of, yeah. It's like shaped more like a figure eight than it is the whatever that. Okay, because he didn't Ann's eat pretzel. he didn't eat seventeen Auntie Anne pretzels. No, but they're decent size. Yeah, it's probably the same amount of dough. It's just it's just configured differently. Um, so did it hold up to what it was like in philadelphia yeah i thought it was very good i thought maybe they were a tad bit smaller than they're used to so the thing with the pretzel factory they're all over the place in philly jersey um they're in florida like you said there's a few other franchises here and there but like the original philadelphia pretzel factory was opened two blocks from my house where i grew up like i used to walk there all the time they were a quarter when it first opened i would walk up there buy a pretzel for a quarter awesome um but yeah it held up like it's not. I don't know if it was exactly the same thing, but it was close enough to it that I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. And when I'm feeling froggy, I'll probably drive back out there. Yeah. Which way is Centerville? Which way is that? West. It's like Dayton, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. You should have gone to the Tudor's Biscuit World too while you're out there. You well, should, you I went free. to uh, I went to Freddy's and got a burger because I'd never seen a Freddy's before. That was your first time ever seeing it. You didn't know it existed. I had never seen one before. No. Um. So I I rolled through and got a burger. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts? 
It was all right. It was expensive. Um, it was pretty good. It's sort of like uh, like they're trying. I think they're trying to be like Culver's, but it's not quite as good. And the like the bun wasn't big enough for for how they they like press the burgers and get those crispy edges. And they put like, that's what really, I love about those. They put like because it's really flavorful. Big, yeah, yeah, it was good. But and they put like these really big like pickles on them. But like everything was just sort of too big for the bun it was on, um, which I don't like. I don't. I don't. I understand that burgers are sort of like inherently messy food or can be, but I don't like when places don't kind of take steps to avoid that if they can. Um, so it was not the best driving burger. I'll say that for sure. But I, I think Freddy's Freddy's is good. like Freddy's is I've only had it a few times because they're kind of hard to find, but it is a better than average fast food burger. Yeah. I'd agree I would that. say that it, it holds up well. I got into a huge argument in the car in Los Angeles with Colton Pouncey, our uh, MSU writer, Michigan State. And he thinks In-N-Out is garbage. Okay. Is he boys with Wendy? Yeah. So, like, this is the second time. Anyway, he we got into this huge debate about why it's not as good as Five Guys. And I was trying to explain to him we have to put it in its correct tier. Mm-hmm. And Colton believes that in and out is more about the branding of it. Like the Southern California palm trees. It's a cool thing to take a picture of. Yeah. I personally believe that the burger is delicious and fresh. So what category do we put in and out in as do we, are we comparing in and out to McDonald's or are we comparing in and out to five guys? I think it's hard because if you went off the price point, you would want to compare it to the McDonald's and the Burger Kings of the world. And the fact it, that it's a drive-thru. Right. But in terms of quality, it's more closer to a to a five guys. And I would even put Culver's up on a, on a different tier, too. So this is what I was going to get to. They take more care of their burgers. This is what I was going to get to. I think that there is a tier in between fast casual burger places like Five Guys and the lower tier McDonald's like fast food for a middle tier fast food that is somewhere in between. I think in and out Culver's and Freddy's all belong in the middle tier. I can get on board with that. Although I will say like, I think Culver's and in and out are significantly better than Freddy's. Yeah. I mean, but like there's a certain type of burger that you can get that is seasoned. Well, mm-hmm. has those crispy edges and is just a very tasty piece of meat. Whereas if you have a piece of meat from McDonald's without any bun or anything on it, it might almost be close to flavorless. Yeah. So Freddy's has the flavor and you can tell that this, the patties are made on a grill with seasoning and are crispy, which I think brings you up past that. Now the most flavorful patty for, for burgers um, in the lower tier is Wendy's. I think they've got the best tasting meat, right. right. but Wendy's is buns and fries are dog shit and yep. the weight is insane. So um, to me, I think, Freddy's is the lower lowest of tiers between the Culver's in and out debate, but I don't think I think it's a better burger than you would find at the lower tier fast food. Yeah, I agree with that. It was definitely better than like a a Wendy's, a McDonald's, a Burger King, uh, whatever. But then price point there too gets a little bit up. I think the price point was high. It was like I think I think the I guess got the like the the number two like bacon burger meal, bacon cheeseburger meal with fries, and it was like nine bucks. I think it was just which is pretty high. Yeah, but I thought the qu- I thought the quality was about on par with the price point. I wasn't. I don't think you expect to pay that much for a burger when you go through a drive-through, but I I wasn't upset after the fact that I had paid that much. I thought it was pretty good. Isn't it a milkshake place too? 
Yeah, I didn't get a milkshake because, like I said, I also had three pretzels <laughs> on this drive. Well, it's July 4th. There's calories don't count yeah, right. on July 4th. You can't gain weight. God bless America. If every day were July 4th, everybody would have a six-pack. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm proud of you, man. I'm happy that you did that. Um, and you might go back up there and, and get what you what you need. Um, next time you go up to Centerville, you should go to Tudor's Biscuit World, though. I'm very curious because you, you're, you're a fan of a good biscuit. I am. There was a Tudor's, oh, Tudor's also, Biscuit World and there's a donut place there, too, I was told to go to. Also, I texted you this. You're looking at somebody who broke their Chick-fil-A breakfast cherry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I was in LAX airport coming back from the opening, and every restaurant was closed but Chick-fil-A, and I was starving, and I wasn't landing until 4 o'clock, so I went to Chick-fil-A. And I got the chicken biscuit with the uh, potatoes and uh, a water. And the potatoes at Chick-fil-A are identical to Burger King's. Mm-hmm. There, you can't differentiate between the two breakfast uh, hash browns because they're just the circle crispy hash browns. But the biscuit at Chick Fil A was the best fast food biscuit I've ever had outside of Tudor's. So what did you get? Tudor's was on the biscuit. It was just the 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 fried chicken and the biscuit. That was it. There was yeah. nothing on it. Now there were certain sandwiches on the menu that were like grilled chicken with egg and cheese on it. And that it's grossed good. me out. It's good. Okay, I, it's, it's just you like gotta that's get past not, it. It's a mental block you got to get past because chicken's on a breakfast meat when it's when it's paired with eggs, um, like in that kind of way. I don't think I don't think you consider chicken a, a sandwich breakfast meat. Chicken can be a breakfast meat, but I don't think it's a sandwich breakfast meat. Um, well, it's a chicken sausage is a breakfast meat, right? But the chi- if you the, make it a certain egg, way, the, the grilled the chicken is like breast egg white is grilled not. chicken on an English muffin. It's good. I would never order that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, you said you have to get past the mental block, so I'll trust you on it. But the also fried chicken a, isn't really a breakfast meat either. But it was just fried chicken on a biscuit. How could you hate that? They have a burrito where it's like scrambled eggs, chicken nuggets, and potatoes. It's really good. <laughs> like every yeah, because it's just because Chick Fil A's chicken is just superior. Yeah, they also their breading have, uh, their breading ratio is amazing. They have good coffee there. I know you don't drink coffee, but they have yeah. good coffee there. I wish I did. Everybody just drinks coffee, and everybody talks about how awesome coffee is. It just I never got on the train. And the thing about it is that I just, I don't dislike it. It's just like, I've never been in a scenario where I was like, I just woke up. I need to go get a fresh cup of coffee. Like everybody else. I can't function. When we're on vacation with, when I'm on vacation with Britt, the first thing we have to do, no matter where we are, is go find a local coffee place so that she can try the local coffee. That's great. That's what I do. Um, or like I bring her up coffee from the hotel because it's like a must for her every morning. And it's just like, when, when in your childhood did that happen? Like, I just don't know when, like, was it college? Is that when it happens to people? They feel like they need to drink it to study? Like, I think, when did it happen? For me, that's not, no. I uh, was, like, kind of repulsed by coffee for a long time. And for some reason, I was in Toronto probably seven years ago. We walked by a Tim Hortons in downtown Toronto, and I said, you know what? I'm going to try. I'm going to give coffee a try. So we went to Tim Hortons, got a couple of, uh, we got one with cream and sugar and a black one because I wasn't sure which one I'd like. Although I had a sneaking suspicion that I prefer the black coffee, which I do. I drink my coffee black now. You had a sneaky suspicion that you would prefer the thing that doesn't taste with sugar? Well, I like, I don't like, uh, like, you wouldn't know this by looking at me, but I'm not a terribly big fan of sweet, sweet things. Um, And like my beer preferences tend to tend a little more to the bitter side. So I figured I'd like a black coffee. Um, Anyway, I downed a cup at, at Tim Hortons in downtown Toronto, and now I drink six cups a day. So you thought, you thought that black coffee was just what is it about it is it just refreshing does it yeah i don't the drink way it, it tastes i've certainly developed a caffeine dependency but my uh i don't 
I didn't start out drinking it because like I felt like I needed to pick me up in the morning. Like I enjoy the taste of black coffee. Because like you, when we go on road trips, we're pulling over to get coffee. You get you have it in every form. You got the micro brew or the yeah. ice brewed, and you have you put it in ice. You, I mean, you're drinking coffee all the time, and it's just like I don't know. I just don't know the pleasure of waking up in the morning. And like if you're at the beach and having a warm cup of coffee while looking at the waves, like it just doesn't resonate. Oh, that's the with me. best. That's the I best. know, yeah. I know. And I, I hear it's also really good with darts too. But uh, not that I have a yeah a, a cigarette thing. But I heard it's a really good pair <laughs> with cigarettes. Um, the, time, the period of my life where I smoked darts and the period of my life when I drank coffee did not overlap. Fortunately, yeah. Um, it's like part of me because like we have a coffee maker. It's like part of me wants to just go make a cup right now and see if I like it. Yeah. Because honestly, as somebody who really likes soda, me, I love like diet and regu- I, I prefer regular, but I have to drink diet. I would much rather be addicted to coffee than diet Coke. I drink. Yeah, I drink basically all I drink. I have the occasional soda. I'll, I'll, I'll drink a beer with the best of them. But like the majority of what I drink is water and coffee. And I drink coffee all throughout the day. And like the studies always change. It was like six cups of coffee, which is like a health hazard two years ago, and now it's yeah. good for you. Now it's like if you, yeah, if you drink six cups of coffee a day, you'll never have a heart attack. It's like okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to kind of like outweigh the yeah. the bacon fried uh, hamburgers right. that yeah. you're having. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, anyway, thank you for the eight of you who are still listening to this podcast. Um, it's like the season's coming. We're, th- we have after Bro, this. Ep- it is here. After, it's this, here. after this episode, we'll have two more episodes before Big Ten Media Days, and I think it's three more episodes before camp starts. So, like, it's basically here. Um, and I do think, like, we need to, I, I think, like, start transitioning a little bit toward toward previewing the 2021 Ohio State football season. Uh, I think for part of that, too, like, we, we'll want to bring back a Q&A episode to see what's on your guys' mind heading into the season. So hit the email, 4to6ab at gmail.com. Drop some questions about the upcoming season and camp in there, and we'll get to those. Ari's, Ari's want to say something. Go ahead. You know what's so funny? So – I, not, I don't know if this is too much information, but Britt got pregnant in January. Yeah. And I always thought Britt's body is going to be the clock for <laughs> football season. So as <laughs> I think she would die if she heard me say this, but at, the bigger she gets with her tummy, and she looks great, by the way, but like her stomach is like the college football season because her due date is October 4th. So like as she becomes showing more, I'm like, Football's coming. Oh, like, it's not Minnesota. the baby's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the baby's not coming. It's just like when she has this big. It's like this morning I looked at her and I was like, "Wow, you are like super pregnant now." And it's just like, does that mean that it's kickoff time? You can hear the Ohio State drum major, you know, as her stomach expands. Oh man, yeah. Don't let her listen to that. Yeah. I did, yeah. yeah. Well, she does. No, she looks great. You posted a. You guys were in. Uh, were you in, in uh, Vegas? Yeah, we posted were somewhere. We're always yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah she. Uh, you know, I, yeah. The, the episode's one hundred uh, an hour and fifteen. We, we can stop there, but we can analyze Britt's body next week. <laughs> okay, stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. All right, yeah. The season's coming faster than you think. We'll be here uh, before you know it. Time to start previewing the twenty twenty Ohio State football season. We'll talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.